All right, welcome, welcome to The Mormon Nutritionist. And this is actually episode three, our final episode of our interview with Blade Hargis. But thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Y'all are listening to The Mormon Nutritionist. I should say that this podcast is not intended to be individualized medical advice. As always, please consult with a medical professional in your area to make sure that your medical history is taken into account to make sure that you get the best care possible. All right, welcome back. And as a reminder, we are talking with the Blade Hargis, a recent BYU grad, husband, father, pre-med student at Mayo Clinic and uh, type 1 diabetic. So in the beginning, we spoke about type 1 diabetes, what it is, and some of the experiences that, that Blade had in recognizing whenever food and faith started to connect and how that served on his mission. So before we get into uh, the three stories that Blade wanted to mention, I have to bring it back to the cheese Danish. Okay. So you mentioned how uh, if you knew that there were those cherry cheese Danishes in that fridge, that you would find them and you would go and hide upstairs or hide wherever in your house and eating those things. Uh-huh. Do you find that you might still do those things? <laughs> um, I sometimes, when my wife makes cookies, I may eat one too many. Yes, I don't. I don't usually hide, run off and hide. Um, <laughs> but my wife is like, "Blade, how many have you had?" And I'm always sheepishly like, "Uh, more than you have had." <laughs> I bolused for it. I I gave what I needed to. Yeah. No, it's a uh, life is difficult sometimes. <laughs> so I'm a I'm I'm the middle of five kids, right? And so I was teased in my house because I would hide food because I wanted the what what was it? It was like the cheesecake pudding with the strawberry topping. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Uh-huh. So we would get those, but there was like a pack of four, and my mom would get two, and there's five kids. So I wanted to make sure that I got another one. Uh-huh. So you'd hide it. So I'd hide it and then I'd come out with it. My family's like, where did you have that? I'm like, uh, it was just in the fridge. Um <laughs> so it's funny being in like the Mormon culture, not just like with a type one diabetes, because that's a totally different field. Um, but whenever there's a lot of kids around, there's an interesting interactions that start to happen with food. Uh-huh. And sometimes it can continue into adulthood and you might not realize yeah. why you're doing things until you sit back and think, oh, that kind of yeah, makes sense. It definitely still happens. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the three stories uh, that changed Blade's life for the better in approaching trials and in finding joy. Because one of the things that Blade and I have spoken about is that that God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have happiness. He wants us to be excited. He wants us to be able to experience life rather than to just have life happen to you. So um mm-hmm. Let's let's go ahead and hear have your first story of come what may and love it. Um, I'm totally with you. I th- I believe it's called the plan of happiness instead of the plan of survival for a reason. Yeah, we're not just meant to like survive. We're meant to enjoy life. And so the first one, kind of maybe less of a story and more of just like a mantra or something like that. I loved the talk come what may and love it by Joseph B. Worthen. Yeah, yeah, like that that one is up there as one of my tops and the reason i reason i liked it is here here's this this older apostle like he wasn't he looked fragile like 
he didn't look like he was doing so hot <laughs> when he gave I think we all know that yeah. the apostles are just kind of like holding on, leaning on the pulpit because they doesn't look like they're going to make it through. Well, yeah, at the end of every conference, it's like, I think this is Worthlin's last one. It's like, that's what everybody said. And it never was. He always lived. But I love this idea. Here's this. He looks, he, he looks like he's aged and he's ready to, to move on to the next phase of life. And he gets up there and he tells these stories that are just, just cracking people up and everybody in the audience and probably throughout the church as they're listening, I'm just laughing. And this idea that you could, you could find joy in just about everything in the most embarrassing, in the most heart wrenching, um, in these struggling times or whatnot, that God litters joyful moments throughout. And the scripture that comes to mind that I really love is this scripture that there must be an opposition in all things. Yeah. I think a lot of times because of our human nature, we think about, oh, so for every good, there must be a bad. But for every bad, there must be a good. Yeah. When there's an opposition in all things, it goes both ways. And so when there's heart-wrenching things, because the Lord has declared it, I don't think it's blasphemous to say that you can expect great things to come from it. Yeah. And so life is meant, God, when I picture God on a teeter-totter, he sits right in the middle. He's like at the fulcrum where the thing bounces and Satan's on either end. He sits in the extremes of life and God sits in the balance. He understands that trials are needed to teach us things, but he always offsets the hard with good. Yeah. And as long as we're faithful, he gives us the opportunity to not just live life, but love it. And that's one of my personal mottos. I'm not here to live life. I'm here to love it. I like that distinction because it's not, I mean, there's a difference between, uh, and again, Elder Uchtdorf gave a different talk where he's like, you're not supposed to just make it to the end, just endure to the end. Like, hold out brothers. Like you can, yeah. you can make it to next conference, but it's a matter of enjoying to the end. and living exactly. and then in, like liking what you're doing. I think that's a big, yeah, that's, that's a great point. So then what, what would be your second story? You told me this was a mission story, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was in a really tough area. So the mission had just split and I was called Spanish. Now where, where did you serve on your mission? So I was Washington state. I was in Spokane. Okay. So the east side of Washington, and I was Spanish speaking, but all the Spanish, there's actually a lot of Spanish up there. There's a lot of orchards, apple orchards, and tons of Latinos everywhere in central Washington. But on either border of Washington, there's not a lot, especially in Spokane. There's just like no Latinos. So the mission had been split. My mission president had asked me to stay in Spokane instead of going to Kennewick, I believe was the mission which took all of our Spanish elders and sisters. So there's like me and two other Spanish speaking elders and sisters in the mission left. So transfers were going to be really interesting. Yeah, they were. And so me and my companion were Spanish speaking for Spokane, the entire city of Spokane, because there was like no Latinos anywhere. <laughs> we were, we were struggling. I think in the six weeks we were there, we taught like two lessons. The area book had been, completely they took everything out and they're like start fresh we're at a fresh mark figure it out and i know you and elder sobolski can figure it out so we were just put in there to grind through figuring it out sure and so i remember i really wanted to get in my studies to characters of christ and i was looking at things like endurance and stuff we all know 
Jesus is is pretty he's pretty enduring. He he gets it. Um he can stick it out. He can stick it out for sure. Anybody that can fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Man, I could barely do four hours. So yeah, he's got me beat. But um so I was really focusing on these characters of Christ, and there was an interesting one that jumped out to me that I think a lot of people probably miss, and I had missed multiple times, but is a really interesting character of God in Christ. Um, now bear with me as I, as I kind of go into this, but I was wondering how we're told not to bash. Don't bash people when you're in. We're running into a lot of that, trying to find these Latinos. Who are like, I'm Catholic. I'm going to die Catholic. And, and so for those of you that haven't served a mission bashing, you're just straight up arguing with the scriptures to prove that you're right. And it very much makes the other person dig their heels. In. Yeah. So it doesn't work. But, <laughs> but Christ in the scriptures also wasn't like a spineless wimp. Like when the Pharisees no. and Sadducees said stuff that were false, he called them out on it. Right. And so I was trying to find the distinction between Christ who is doing everything right and elders who on the outside may seem like they're doing the same types of things, but it was all wrong with this bashing thing. So you're trying to say, how come Christ can bash, but missionaries can't, but what's the right way to approach it to, to, be direct but not overbearing yeah and so so i i realized that god and christ had a little bit of tenacity they they really stood for truth and that's when the scripture jumped out to me um and yeah so i believe it's third nephi 27 don't quote me on that i could have marked in my scriptures actually but it's where the lord is talking about um bringing the tithes into the storehouse and the, prove me now here with that is the exact line that jumped out to me. So here he is. He's saying, "Bring a, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse." And then the line, "Prove me now herewith," saith the Lord of hosts. Here is God in Scripture telling the prophet, "Do it, I dare you." Right. That is what he's saying. Prove me now herewith. Do it, I dare you, and let me show you the blessings I will give you if you just obey this simple command. And I realized that God in all his wisdom and love, his commandments are instructions to find joy. They're not limitations. Commandments are the instruction manual on how to have a happy and fulfilling life. And if we just put God to his word and do the simple things he tells us to do, he will open up windows and pour us out blessings. And so I remember reading that line, knowing God was a little bit tenacious, and I could see God up in heaven saying, do it, I dare you. I know exactly what's going to happen if you do what I tell you. And I promise you, it'll be for your benefit and good and blessing. And so that, that idea of God being all loving and all powerful and all wise but also being confident right. in himself and in the blessings he could give you. Really, that scripture then, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, that took on a whole new meaning. I realized that in that area where we were struggling, that we could bind God in a way and not like rope him down. But if he promised us blessings and success, that if we did absolutely everything that we said, he would have to prove himself. And I knew 
that he would always come through. Yeah. And so that has changed my life because when it comes to like taking care of my body, going to med school, all these things that we've talked about previously, if I am promised through the word of wisdom, health in my navel and marrow in my bones and da, 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 for doing these things, I know I can bind the Lord to those promises if I do my very best. And it, the same thing goes whenever you are incorporating more healthy behaviors, right? So the, exactly. you are promised that you will be healthier if you are doing healthy things. However, that doesn't always manifest itself the way that you think it's going to. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've spoken with plenty of people that go to the gym because they want to lose weight. And they go to the gym and they lose weight, but they didn't lose as much as they wanted to. So they, pl- they start to plateau and they're like, well, I mean, it's not worth it. It's not working anymore. So why do I, why do I even keep trying? Mm-hmm. But if you continue in doing the healthy thing, you understand that you are healthier than if you were not doing those things. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of times we get like the tunnel vision of like, well, I'm supposed to have these things. Again, I don't know why like Elder Utdorf's on the brain today, but uh, he talks about how he was in the military and trying to run. And the people that were smoking and drinking and not following the word of wisdom were running better than him. Mm -hmm. And and in my mind, I'm thinking the word of wisdom doesn't promise you that you you will run faster than the other person. It just means that you will be better than you would have been. Yeah. Because it's a personal application for that command. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I like, I like the quote commandments are instructions to find joy. That's a good one. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. People would always be like, the Mormons have so many commandments. I was like, or just a bigger instruction manual on how to be happy. Yeah. You could say that. I mean, sure. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and people didn't believe it, but really, when you think about it, with every commandment is attached to blessing. You think about the Ten Commandments, there are instructions on how to, it's not don't do this. It's like, don't do this because <laughs> it doesn't lead to happiness. Yeah. So it's an instruction yeah. and less of like a limitation. Right. All right. So then there's one last story that you wanted to bring up about your mom whenever you were diagnosed. And I'm, I'm truly intrigued by this one because when you mentioned before wanting to work in PEDS, I, I've worked at uh, Yale New Haven Hospital. That's where I did my internship or my residency. Mm-hmm. And you go through PEDS. And most people that want to do PEDS go into PEDS thinking that they're going to be working with kids, not realizing that they're going to be working with parents. Yeah, exactly. So whenever you mentioned your story and the dream that you had about running into a mother that you might have to explain something to her, mm-hmm. it's very real that you have to talk to parents because kids can't take care of themselves. So I'm interested to know like what your mom had to say or what, what experience you had whenever you were diagnosed, because first, I mean, from your mom's perspective, she already had a husband that was type one and she had how many kids at that time? Oh boy. Three or four. So I'm six and six years down from me now, 19. So she had three to four. She may have been pregnant with number four. Yeah. So, so she's pregnant with another number four. She's already got a husband that's diabetic and now she's got a son that might have the same illness that her husband has. And she, I'm, I'm sure she understood that she was going to have to do a lot more to help you learn how to take care of yourself than just helping you tie your shoe. Exactly. Yeah. So I personally, this is from a recounting because I don't remember this instance, but when my mom recounted it to me, just to put it in a timeline, when we previously talked in the show about when, um, kind of becoming a doctor when I realized I could be the master of my own ship. 
kind of taking control of my circumstance. Yeah. My mom recounted this story to me at about that stage. And I feel like it also contributed um, to that transition from being the, the slave to diabetes to being the owner of it, the master. Of right. It. And so as you probably would suspect, my mom was emotionally just kind of worn out. She's been sitting in the hospital learning about insulin dosage and blood sugar checks and long-term chronic problems and all sorts of garbage. She had been told that like I'd effectually cut off 20 years of my life. When I was diagnosed, the average lifespan of someone who'd had diabetes as long as I had was about 55 years, I believe. Right. So I'm like six years old and they were telling me, yeah, he'll live to be in his mid fifties and probably die. Right. And you're like, that's what every parent wants to hear. Yeah, exactly. That they're going to outlive their child now. Yeah. So she had gone to get some food and when she came back, I was sitting on the bed crying. Um, and my mom she was like, you're a pretty happy kid. Like there weren't many things that got you down. So I knew it was pretty serious if you were kind of crying silently on your bed. So she sat on the end and she was like, Blade, what's wrong? I know it's been tough, but what's wrong? And I told her, I was like, I just want to be normal. I, I want to be able to run and play. And I had been asthmatic all my life up to that point. And I'd finally kicked asthma. And then three months later, I was a type 1 diabetic. So my whole life was like doctors and needles and hospitals. And that's and a yada totally yada. normal thing whenever any disease happens is I just want to be normal. I wanted that. And my mom and all her wisdom and to her credit, and just to show you the saint she is, she put her hand on my knee and she said, Blade, there are some children that will never leave this hospital. They will never run. They will never play. They will never experience the life that you will get to have. You are going to love life. You are going to get to experience it. You've come at a time where the doctors know what's going on. Yeah. We have the means to take care of it. Because decades ago, you wouldn't have made it. You died. You were done. Yeah. And so it was like, we have the technology to take care of you. You have family and support. We have access to the priesthood. You are going to live life and we are going to do just that. Way to go, mom. And when my mom, when my mom recounted this story to me, I realized that in the moment, my mother realized that we could be, again, subject to the circumstance or take control yeah. of it. And in all her wisdom to my six-year-old self, maybe it was more for her because, again, she had to recount the story to me. But to her credit, whoever it was for, she realized the control that God had given us to master our own ship. And when you think about the war in heaven, it was a war over who got to choose what. Yeah. Either Satan was going to do it all for us and we were all going to make it. Or we were going to have the opportunity to choose ourselves, make mistakes, learn from it, and become like God. Right. And that was the argument. And my mother realized that in at this six-year-old boy stage, that the plan of salvation was becoming more and more real for Blade Hargis. Yeah. And I needed to learn the power I had to choose and my godlike ability to choose and control my circumstance. I think that too often we put ourselves and others in boxes and uh -huh. the whole point of the atonement and the whole point of grace is that that box is smashed 
Yeah, there is no box. Christ has made it possible for you to overcome any and everything. You might not be able to not have type one right now, but you can do your best with that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to let that ruin or run your life because you could be the one that takes responsibility over that. And I think that too often we forget that that is the enabling power of the atonement. Like Elder Bednar talks about, that's the Uh whole point of it is to give you the freedom to become. Exactly. Not just to be, but to become. Right. And so that, that is, if there's, if there's one thing that defines Blade Hargis as Blade Hargis, I believe that story kind of envelops it. I learned as I grew up and I rebelled that diabetes controlled me. But as I learned that God had given me more power than I previously realized to control my circumstance and to find joy, that has been my mission since to do everything in my power to not only find joy for myself, but to be a means of joy for my wife, for my beautiful baby daughter, and for the patients that I'll get to work with throughout my life. God has given me an opportunity in my entire life to learn that ability to find joy. And now he's given me the mission to share that knowledge with others. And I love that because I know in the past, whenever you were at BYU, you and your wife put together a diabetes camp. Yes, exactly. For type 1 diabetics. And I know that your dad did that whenever you guys were in Arkansas. Exactly. And so you guys have been reaching out into that community. And I think that this episode is going to be helpful for people that may have had type one, that may have type one, be parents of someone that has type one, be siblings to someone that has type one, and understanding that you do not have to be the person that is subject to it, um, but you can have more control than you think, and that you can grow up, you can get old, you can have a family, you can have a life, rather than just thinking whenever I'm 22, I'm just going to die. Yeah. I'm not going to make it to 18. You know, but I even hope that with the message that I've kind of shared today in my own personal circumstance, that it it even expands out to any sort of trial. Like diabetes is a big one and this is very applicable, but any chronic illness up up through just a stubbed toe or any trial you got. I really hope that that listeners realize that God loves us so much that when he gave his only begotten son for our benefit, that it was so in the very moment that we were the most hurting, we can feel the most love. I think that's one of the most humbling things to me is the fact that, because I know I've had those moments where you're like, I can't handle anything else. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm like in the bottom of the pit of despair and I can't find the ladder And you know what? I think uh, this might be it. Yeah. And I think for every time that I felt like that, Christ felt every single person's moment of being in that pit. And he is the only person that can fully understand what it's like to be in that pit when you are you. Yeah. Not just to be in the pit because, oh, your parents got divorced or because you've lost a loved one or whatever it is, but because you as an individual have your own life and have your own experiences. Mm -hmm. He understands that perfectly. Yeah. And that is one of the most humbling things. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's my hope. My, my life, I don't feel like it's extraordinary. It's not super unique. There's other people that have had my circumstances, but I feel like because of 
my upbringing and my unique trials and stuff like that, that I have a very different understanding of what life is meant to be and why we even have life, why we came to the earth to begin with. Sure. And I hope that people, that, that they realize that, man, life is meant to be loved, not just lived, that, that God is there for you. He wants you to be happy. One of my favorite thoughts is that what's important to me is important to God. I love that idea. You wouldn't think like God thinks football is important if I really like it. But I really think that if a father, a regular father and their kid, if their kid really likes something, usually a father is willing to hopefully get out there and throw the ball with them. I picture God being the same thing. If baseball is important to you, I picture God being on the sidelines cheering you on. Yeah. Whether you win or lose, he's going to be there yeah. to support you. Just those ideas that life, life is meant to be loved and not just lived. Well, so I have that, that comment right there kind of sums up the next couple of questions I'm going to ask you, but just to kind of see if you have any other pointed advice, and this is specific to type one, but it can be related okay. to other people um, that have like, if you have someone in your family that is type two diabetic, or if you have someone okay. in your family that has heart disease, what advice would you give to a kid that was recently diagnosed with type one? Ooh, well, if they're like one, I have to talk to them differently, right? Um, <laughs> right. Um, so we'll say a 10-year-old. A 10-year-old kid. I think the first, the first thing that I would let them know is that, that depending on their parents and their doctors is going to make all the difference for them. I think a lot of kids get scared. I was scared. And then I tried to rebel because I didn't want the help. But when I realized the help I did have and took advantage of it, I got better. Yeah. And so I think first and foremost, the kid needs to feel that whoever the kid is, that the people surrounding them are really there to help them. And that if they depend on them, they can be happy. They can, they can figure it out. So trust people. Trust, trust people. And, and be willing to accept help. Yep. I think it's important personally to not sugarcoat things. Because kids aren't dumb. They're not stupid. You said the S word. I did. I did. No, they aren't. And so I think if you lie to a kid, diabetes isn't that bad. No, it stinks. Diabetes is a tough disease. It's never easy. It's never once been easy in the 19 years I've had it. I think it's, it's detrimental to a kid to say, hey, your life is going to be just fine. It will be fine, but don't sugarcoat it. Let them know. There are going to be times where it's going to be hard, where you're going to hate it, where, where you're going to be crying and we're all going to be struggling. But guess what? We're still not going to leave. Yeah. And we are going to find a way to live and love this time. And so I think that balance of letting them know there's always going to be a support and that they can do it, but also not sugarcoat yeah. it. Let them know the reality so that they don't have false expectations. Because then if they do, right. and then they don't experience it, what do they start thinking? You're a liar. What do they start going to? Obviously, I don't have a support system because they were lying from the beginning. I, I think those would be my two-pointed piece of advice. All right, now next one. What advice would you give to a sibling of someone with type one? Treat them as a sibling. <laughs> okay. Don't don't treat them different don't treat them different i think what was interesting when my little sister was diagnosed with well she diagnosed with down syndrome she just had it when she was born it wasn't like we had to figure it out um 
The doctor said, I am less and less convinced that Down syndrome debilitates kids. I'm more and more convinced it's the parents that do so. Yeah. It's like when you treat your daughter like a girl with Down syndrome, she will have Down syndrome. Or if you treat her like a child, she will be a child. Yeah. Of course, we'll have to deal with the this and that or whatever. But treating them differently will make them develop differently. Okay. And so when it comes to a sibling, I'd be like, listen, if you wrestle with your siblings, wrestle with them. I mean, I'm guessing this kid I'm talking to doesn't have like glass bones or something <laughs> like that. Don't, right. don't wrestle with a glass bone kid. That may kill him. But like, but treat them like a sibling. Let, I also think it's important to let them know to talk to their parents because I think a lot of kids feel left out when one sibling is getting all the attention because they're the sick one. Yeah, that was the other thing that I was thinking of is that a lot of times kids feel like they're getting the shaft because the other kid gets all the attention. because Exactly. So let them know that they need to voice their opinions. If they're, My sister, Hannah, once tried to give herself an insulin shot. It's not that she wanted a shot. It's that she wanted the attention that Blade was getting. And so I think those are the two pieces right. of advice. Don't treat them any different. Let them develop like a normal sibling would, but also don't be silent. If you're feeling off, your parents love you enough to listen to you. Sure. Then the last question is, what advice would you give to a parent of someone who is diagnosed with type 1? To a parent. Hmm. Um, the, and it might be different for you because your dad already had it. Your mom knew what it was like and your dad knew what it was like. Yep. But just in general, what would you think would be helpful to that parent? Um, first thing, I would, I would really, really... Um, what's the word communicate the importance of humility in that I think a lot of people feel stupid for asking questions that may seem stupid, but if it's a question and it could be beneficial or hurting your child, you need to ask that question to someone who knows. Yeah. Don't think Google knows everything, please. Gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the hospital and doctors been like, this test says you have this. And they're like, but I Googled it and it says I have this. It's like, why'd you come to the hospital then? Right. Like, what's the point? So parents need to need to ask questions and be humble enough to not be like self-conscious in that like, man, I'm going to be looked at like an idiot if I ask this question. They need to be confident that like, I'm just learning this out and humble enough to realize that they are learning too. Right. And so they should ask questions and go to good resources. And then the second thing that I would, I would tell them um, is I would, I would give them a long-term, a long-term view. I was like, don't let this moment define your eternity. So honestly, I was thinking about that the entire time your daughter was talking. I was thinking, I, I wonder if six-year-old Blade Hargis would have ever thought that he would be sitting here interviewing, talking about this on a podcast with his wife in the other room, with his daughter in the other room, with uh -huh. like getting ready to go to the Mayo Clinic to become a doctor. Yeah, I, you wouldn't think that. When I was six, I didn't see that. But I bet you my mom did. And that's why she said what she said. Yeah. And so as a parent, especially over a kid that's now chronically diagnosed, you have to be the guy with the binocular at the front of the ship. Let them steer the ship a little bit, but you need to be the navigator. You need to see, you need to see the, the goal. You need to be able to make that real to you. 
Because when they're feeling down and they're feeling out, you need to remind them that that goal is possible. Right. And so give them the hope that this moment won't define their eternity. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, so, okay. So we've said all these things. I appreciate all that you've added in here, Blade. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm proud of all Thank that you've you. done and look forward to, to keeping tabs on you in the future. Um, but is there any one takeaway that you would like to leave with, with our listeners? One takeaway. Yeah, you got to boil it down. Boil it down. We'll, we'll make a, a Mormon nutritionist reduction, whatever they have on the British cooking show. <laughs> awesome. Um, if there is one thing to take away from everything I've said, I would say that life is good. And it's meant to be so. And you should trust the Lord that it's supposed to be so. Whatever your life circumstance, whatever trial it is, no matter how big or small, again, if it's important to you, it's important to the Lord. And so if getting over this trial is important to you, guess what? It's important to God too. And he wants you to figure it out. And he's going to litter joyful little tidbits along the way to help you see his end goal, which is eternal life and glory in his kingdom. If there's anything I want people to realize is that I remember as a missionary, we would take a threading string. What is it called? Like, like needlework stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Needlework. Just a string that, that you would like sew a button on and we tied a knot in it and then we'd run it throughout the house and we'd yeah. have the kids go along and feel till they felt the knot. And they were like, that knot is earth life. And everything else is what you're going to be. It is literally, I guarantee you when we were sitting up there, I was like 80 years with diabetes out of bajillion, gazillion, banillion. That's nothing. I could totally do that. Give me two diabetes. Give me type two. I'll take them both. Like, I think that's probably what it was like because we realized when we had the eternal perspective that life is good. Life is good. Life is good. And we have all the hope in the world to be like God. And so, um, but we lose that perspective when the, when the veil is put on us. Don't yeah. lose that perspective. We know through prophets that that's a, that's a true perspective. Keep it. Live it. Love yeah. it. That's what I would well, say. Blade, thank you so much. I appreciate, like I said, you being here, your perspective, um, just being able to know you. No, thanks, man, for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Is there any project that you guys are working on right now? Anything that you'd like to to put a little plug in for? Yeah, so my wife has a blog. It's called The Med School Wife. Um, She posts things. It's kind of the other view. I think a lot of people forget that there's a spouse. If there is a spouse that is going through med school along with the student. Sure. Is experiencing life in a vastly different way and through a different lens well it's like being a military spouse right so like one person's deployed but the other person isn't and theirs has to take care of everything yeah so and so she offers a really interesting insight um the ups the downs the lessons we've learned um easy ways to make memories stuff like that to just try to find balance in life in that supportive kind of area and so so what's the website for that? So it's called themedschoolwife.com. Themedschoolwife.com. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of The Mormon Nutritionist. We have been here with Blade Hargis. And uh, now go out and continue to be nourished. And this is the end of our interview with Blade Hargis. Thanks for joining us on this journey. 
I hope that you might have been able to find something that draws a parallel into your life because really that's what this podcast is about, food and faith and how we can apply that to our own personal selves. So be sure to check out The Med School Wife, see what they've got going on in their life, and uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Zach Cordell RDM.